Triune God, please humble us in this moment. Father, you are good. You are gracious. You are loving, compassionate. You are the author of all that there is. Jesus Christ, you are the performer of salvation. You are the perfecter of our faith. Spirit, you are our counselor. Please, revive us today. Renew us. Challenge us. Draw us closer to the person and work of Christ. God, we seek to give you glory today as we open your word and engage it. And Lord, may we draw closer to who you are today. Seek to glorify you and respond to your grace today. It's your name that I pray. Amen. Today's message is titled, Save That Seat. Because whether you realize it or not, the place you sit is of utmost importance. Save that seat. If you're joining us for the first time, you have caught us at a bad time. Because uh, currently we're in our uh, five-week series on the book of Jude. So if you missed the last three weeks, uh, you're kind of caught in a pickle, in a ball game. Kind of between third base and home plate, trying to score. But if you allow me to take a few minutes, I'd like to share with you where we have gone so far in this series in the book of Jude. Title series, the first week, uh, or the title series overall for the book of Jude is Kept by Christ. Because you and I are kept, secured, protected in Christ if you are a believer in Him. In his redemptive work, you are kept by Christ. The first week, week one that Pastor opened, was a foundational week because it demonstrated who we are in our relationship with Christ. And Jude has to remind us of that, and he's going to talk about that from the very beginning, but also in the very end. And so we learned that we are called, loved, and kept by God and for Christ. And I think that's, that's so important. As Pastor and I have talked, we've we demonstrated how that important that is that I'd like you to repeat after me, just those three lines. So the first is, you are loved by God. Repeat that. As a whole church, repeat that. You are loved by God. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But you said you, so how, about, so how about you say, so let's repeat after me. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I am called by God. I am called by God. And finally, I am kept for Christ. I am kept for Christ. That's how Jude begins his book, and that's how he wants to end. That we, as a body of Christ, are called, are loved by God, and kept for or by Jesus Christ. That's what we looked at at week one, that we are kept by Christ. In week two, we looked at 
that not only does, does Christ keep believers, but he keeps the ungodly as well. And the ungodly are kept for judgment. That was week two. That false teachers, those in the church to which Jude spends a majority of his time writing, uh, to, to the false teachers, those teaching false doctrine, or those uh, teaching apostasy, that they are kept for judgment. And not only are they kept for judgment, it resembles the judgment that God had on Sodom and Gomorrah, on the believers that, uh, I mean, on the people of Israel that, that disobeyed and, and disbelieved in God from the very beginning, and also uh, from the angels who disobeyed. And so Jude tells us the false teachers are going to be judged as like God judged these people in the Old Testament. Last week, we stood back and we said, what is the conclusion of these uh, false teachers? How is God, God going to judge them? And we come across that little phrase, woe to them. Woe to them. That's God's conclusion. That's the result of their continuing false teachers within the church and outside the church. Because they're following the way of Cain, of Baal, and Korah. And so we also looked at the motivation behind the false teaching and what drives people to take advantage of God's people. So this week in verses 12 through 16, we're going to look at Jude's final address regarding false teachers. And such as is from verses 4 through 16, Jude has been addressing the false teachers. And so he takes a huge majority, or the majority of his book to address the false teachings, the apostasy within the church, so that he can encourage believers to remain uh, in Christ, to remind them of their position in Christ and the relationship with other believers. So let's take a moment and read from God's Word, Jude, verses 12 through 16, which is found in your pew Bible on page 1910. Jude 12, these are the ones who are like dangerous reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by the wind, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots. Verse 13. Wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars from whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them, Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute uh, judgment on all and to convict them of their ungodly acts as they have done in an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented, grumblers, walking according to their desires, their mouth uttering arrogant <clears throat> words, flattering people for their own advantage. A few things to note. Verse 16, it starts out with, These are the ones. This refers back to. Clear back to verse 4. And if there are any markers within the book of Jude, uh, it starts with, with verse 4. And it says, Some men, 
because it's describing a small minority within the church that, that is causing and uh, disrupting the believers. And so then it goes, uh, if, if, if that is one marker, he describes what some men look like. And we talked about that three weeks ago, that they are ungodly, that they are denying Christ, uh, that they are uh, taking grace and turning it into a license for sin. But not only that is, does he describe some men, but we come down to verse 7 and it says, Likewise. So these some men are going to be challenged. They're going to be judged as those who were in Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels, like we, we said earlier. And then another point uh, within the structure of, of Jude is, again, the statement, woe to them, that we find in verse uh, 11 of last week. And then finally, the last marker within the book of Jude is, again, here in verse 12, these are the ones. So all of these statements are referring back to verse 4. So those who are kept for judgment, those who uh, uh, speak uh, apostasy or the false doctrine in the church, they are kept for judgment. And so he's referring back to them again. And he goes on to give numerous descriptions, illustrations of who those men are. He says, uh, uh, one, these men are, again in 12, he's clearly describing what the false teachers look like. So he says, from the very beginning, these are like dangerous reefs. Now, some people don't have the word dangerous reef, do you? What word is there in verse 12? They are like what? Hidden reefs. Hidden reefs, okay. Uh, what? Blemishes. Blemishes, or uh, if you have the KGV, I think it says spots or a stain. And, and all this is, is is a translation point right here, <laughs> is that some have hidden reefs. The literal word, this is only used here in the book of Jude, the literal word means rocks, Rocks. Now you think, how do I get stain or spot from that? Well, the idea is that if you're, in the, if you're on the shore and you're coming up with a boat and there's a hidden rock under the shore, if you hit that rock, it will most likely sink the boat. And so, and so Jude is illuminating the fact that, that these false teachers are like a, a sharp rock underneath the water. And so that as you're pulling up the shore, they can cause you to sink. But the word spot comes from uh, is, is also another, is a good translation, I would say, because they're recognizing that, um, that these people aren't hidden within the church, but they stand out. Uh, it, they stand out like a stain on your wedding dress or your wedding gown. And how you, you freak out, you're disturbed about that. Jude is saying, look at how these people, look at how they show up within the church. These are the false teachers. They're like a stain or a spot, like a blemish that stands out. But two, they are hidden. Not only does he say that they are like a hidden or a dangerous reef or a spot without blemish, but he says uh, they are uh, feasting with you. Or literally, it's, it's feasting fearlessly uh, and nurturing themselves. And the term is also, uh, the, the nurturing themselves is shepherding themselves. You see, the love feast uh, was a festival or the dinner after the Lord's Supper. So if you claim to be a Christian, you would participate in the Lord's Supper, but then you would continue on after that and have a feast with God's people. This is like the Baptist potluck. And so, <laughs> and so after, after you share and embrace the Lord's Supper, it is, it is identified that you are a believer in Jesus Christ because you participate in the Lord's Supper. Therefore, you can enjoy this love feast. But these people, they come in 
and they act as though they are part of the church, are, uh, uh, um, are believers in Christ, and they are participating in the feast with no fear. It's almost as though uh, as, as an atheist would come in and sit in the front row and worship. They would hold their hands out wide. They would say, you know, you know we proclaim God of the universe. In reality, you and I would know that they deny the existence of God in every aspect of their life. Think of how, uh, think of how much of a contradiction that would be. That's, that's the way in which Jude is, is describing the people here, is that this is a contradiction, that these false teachers have no right to be part of this love feast, and yet they are eating fearlessly, that they are nurturing themselves. The term is shepherding themselves. It's almost as though instead of caring for others, that they are just seeking to care for themselves. If I were to, to uh, during the time of, of feeding the sheep each and every night, if I were to walk into the barn with a, a three-course meal and pull up a table and pull up a chair and start eating that in front of the sheep, my role is to feed the sheep, and yet, what am I doing? I'm feeding myself. That's how Jude is describing these false teachers, that they're only seeking to feed themselves, not seeking to care for anybody else. Not only does he describe them as dangerous reefs as, as hidden stones beneath the shore, but also uh, uh, feasting fearlessly with other believers, claiming to be a believer, claiming to be part of the family of God, but they're not. But also he calls them, these false teachers, he calls them waterless clouds. Waterless clouds. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a waterless cloud. Have you? I had to research this a little bit. Uh, so I typed it in to the World Wide Web. <laughs> and the uh, Smithsonian Magazine says that a, a giant thunderhead may contain 2 billion pounds of water. That's a lot of water. But the modest cloud can contain, just the modest, a regular cloud can contain as much water as a 747, the weight of a 747. What do you think Jude is getting at when he says a waterless cloud? Because they, the waterless cloud doesn't exist. Because if you can't squeeze all the water out of a cloud and then there still be cloud. Because clouds don't exist without water. And the same is what Jude is saying about these false teachers. They can't participate in the church because uh, to be a part of the body of Christ means that you are born again. That you're living and abiding under uh, the gospel of Christ. And he says, for, so these false teachers to be living and acting as though they're Christians is as though they were a waterless cloud. A waterless cloud. Again, at number four, he describes what these false teachers look like. And Jude, again, he's trying to be explicitly clear about what false teachers look like, how they act within the church. And so he gives description after description after description so that you and I in the early church can identify false teaching, can identify the effects of false teaching. So he says they're, they're dangerous reefs. He says they are feasting fearlessly and they are like waterless clouds. But number four, he says that they are autumn trees without fruit. They are doubly dead 
and uprooted. You might ask, how, how long do you hold on to a tree or a vegetable plant? How long do you hold on to a fruit tree and wait for it to produce fruit? You might say to yourself, oh, this pear tree, it'll come back next year. Or I might say, you know, this, this tomato plant, this is a late bloomer. And then someone might say, hey, Zach, your pear tree is lying on the ground. <laughs> or, Zach, there's a foot of snow over your tomato plant. It's, face it, it's not coming back. It's dead. It's uprooted. And again, Jude is saying that about these false teachers, just seeking to be extremely clear and, and, and demonstrating that they are like the autumn trees without fruit. They are uprooted. They have no spiritual growth within the church. And number five, Jude says that these people are like wild waves of the sea. See, if you were to talk to a Boston fisherman or someone from the, the northeast, uh, or I mean the north shore uh, in Massachusetts, and, and ask them, uh, hey, I, I heard that there's a, a northeast storm coming, but, but today seems like a perfectly good day to go out fishing, to catch some lobster, to catch some crab. How do you think they would respond? They would look at, are you, are you nuts? Are you crazy? If there's a northeast storm coming, that, that means the winds and the waves are going to be traveling at, at 60, 80 miles per hour. You would be nuts to go out there on the water like that. Because the waves and the wind are uh, unleash themselves and they're uncontrolled, uncontrollable. And so why would you ever venture out in that if you knew that storm was coming? Jude, again, is just illuminating the fact that these, these people are uncontrollable. And then he, he moves on to say um, what I think is a, a, a funny word. Um, they're foaming in their shame. This word only occurs here in the New Testament, the word foaming. You see, if I had one question for Jude, if I ever meet him, I would ask, why did you use the word foaming here in, in uh, Jude 13? And, and how does that describe in any way uh, these, these false teachers? Well, Zach, he, he might say, Zach, have you ever used a can of great stuff? You ever used a can of great stuff? And, and Zach, try to, put, try to spray just as much great stuff in a soda bottle to that it reaches the top. And so I might take that can of great stuff, shake it up as required, and spray it in about three quarters full. But lo and behold, what's going to happen? It's going to explode, right? Explode out of that bottle more and more and more. That's kind of the idea here. You see, these false teachers, they are foaming up with shame. Foaming, uncontrollably, is what they're trying to do. And it's noticeable, right? And it's growing and growing and growing. And they don't care. These false teachers, this apostasy is uncontrollable. Their shame is growing beyond control. Not only are they like wild waves of the sea foaming up shame... But six, they are like a wandering star. If you think back to the birth of Christ and to the years that follow, what were the wise men following? 
A star, yeah. Or even, or even you might say it was a very bright light. You see, back in the, the Near East, the context is, is they would travel, they would navigate by the stars. And so if you're following, if you're, if you're looking up the sky and you see a wandering star, you say, boy, it's going to take me a long time to catch up with that. You know, boy, where's that going? I have to run there, you know? Uh, it's, it's no, you don't follow wandering stars, do you? No, you follow the fixed stars. Like the, the wise men, they saw the, the star in the east, and then they followed that to the place where Christ was. And so for us today, it's like using an out-of-date tom-tom or a, uh, a GPS. If you've used one that's, that's some 10 years old or, or more, you might recognize that it takes you down dirt roads or, or into fields and um, you know, off, the, off the paved path. And you're thinking, how is this going to get me to church today? Or how is, this going, how is this supposed to get me to this restaurant when I'm in the middle of a field? And it's because the, the uh, GPS is probably out of date. And so it's, it's similar to this in the fact that Jude is describing uh, the consistent path, and yet these false teachers are aimlessly seeking uh, uh, to, to go off the path like a wandering star. And that star is kept for eternal darkness or the gloom of darkness as he describes. So what's the conclusion about all these descriptions in verse 12 and 13? It's because he's making it overwhelmingly clear that these false teachers have absolutely no benefit in the church. And in fact, they are foaming up shame within the church. In 14 through 15, he talks about that there's a prophecy regarding these men. And he states the person of Enoch, right? In verse 14, and Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them. And he says in verse 14, look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones. Enoch. We read in Genesis 5, 23 through 24, it says, So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not there, because God took him. Hebrews 11:5. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death. And he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to this removal, he was approved since he pleased God. You see, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. But the use of Enoch here is problematic in two ways. The first is that it says Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. But in reality, he is the sixth generation, if you count back in Genesis 5. And the second is that this prophecy is not recorded anywhere in the Old Testament. So it's problematic in primarily two ways. So how do we, how do we resolve this conundrum? I think there are, are a number of ways. The first is that Jude perhaps is using an outside source. You say, how can, how can Jude use a book outside of the New Testament, outside of the Bible? Isn't that you know, heretical? Isn't that wrong? Well, no, Paul does the same thing. If you were to look at Acts 17.28... 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and Titus 1, 12, you see that Paul uses outside sources. 
but to, to reaffirm God's word. Second, if Jude is quoting from an actual book, then it's probably pre-flood literature and thus even older than the Pentateuch, which Moses wrote. Number three, if there is an outside source slash oral tradition before the flood, then perhaps it was fulfilled before the flood. We don't have time today, but I would like to, to take you back to Lamech in Genesis 6, the end of chapter 6. And anybody know who is, who is Lamech? Who is, he, who, is, who is his son? Noah. Noah. Thank you. You see, Lamech prophesies about Noah, something extremely significant uh, that it's taken me years to just continue to mull on. And that is that his, his vision for Noah, his dream for Noah is that Noah will be the savior of everything wrong that's happening in the earth at that time. And he kind of, he predicts this blessing, this vision for Noah, that he would uh, save the people, if I can use that terminology, from uh, the corruption of the, of the land, of the ground. And if that is the case, if Lamech sees his son Noah as a quote-unquote savior of, uh, and, and bringing the land back through God's destruction, then it might be clear that Enoch, just two generations earlier, could have made a prophecy concerning that. And so it's not a big stretch to say that Jude is recognizing, retelling all that has happened before the flood. And he's saying God judged the world and he judged the the false teaching, the corruption of the world in Noah's day. Today and this time he's going to do the same for the false teachers, for the ungodly. And I think that follows the consistency of what we've seen two weeks ago. Again, the judgment held for the false teachers. If you have any comments, come see me afterwards regarding that. But I think that's a resolution to what Enoch's prophecy is here. That just as God had judged the people then for, their, for the corruption, the wickedness of the world, again, he is going to do that for those even that claim to be part of the body of Christ, the false teachers, this apostasy. Verse 16. These men are, are one, discontented grumblers. Number two, they are walking according to their own desires. And three, they utter arrogant words with their mouths. They are flattering people for their own advantage. Again, he's concluding that that these ones that he is mentioning, these false teachers, they have no, zero spiritual benefit for the body of Christ. And yet, they even distract people from focusing on the gospel. And why is it important? And that the gospel is primary. If you've ever been in a kid's cafeteria room, it is much similar to this circumstance. you ever tried to have a quiet conversation with somebody when there are a bunch of middle schoolers? about you know, 600 of them, you cannot have a face-to-face, quiet conversation. You have to yell louder than all the kids screaming uh, and, and yelling and throwing food in order just to have a slight conversation. And, what, and if you stood up and you said, quiet down, how long is that going to last? For about, for about 32 seconds before it uproars again. And so, so Jude is saying it's, it's impossible to listen to the, 
the small, quiet voice when there are so many people yelling, carrying on. They're arrogant uh, amongst their, them, themselves, uh, and they're flattering people to their own advantage. You can't hear God's word in the midst of false teachers. So what's the principle here for us today? It's that false teachers have an agenda. False teachers have an agenda of ungodliness. And left go, they will distract and deeply wound our church. So how does all these illustrations, all these descriptions apply for us at Roaring Brook today? And I meant us today. How does that apply? Well, I think simply Jude, uh, to clarify, he's saying identify false teachers within your church. Identify false teachers within your church. Well, Jude, thank you. That's simple enough. Uh, If you are a false teacher today, please stand up. (laughs) But I think there's a second application that Jude is saying here. And it's that if you have grown up in an environment that has been deeply impacted by false teaching, please remain seated. He said, oh! You see, Jude is not... Jude is seeking to easily and to clearly identify false teachers within the church. But even that being said, all of us have been influenced by false teaching in the greater area here of NEPA. And we've had to deal with, with what our, 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 the, the people before us, the generations before us, have uh, readily accepted as doctrine and as good biblical teaching when in fact it was false. And I'm going to identify some of those. You see, Jude is, is demonstrating what false teachings look like within the church today. So I want to list just a few of some of the, uh, the false teachings that Pastor Dan and I have, have recognized as extremely detrimental for your life and my life as a church within NEPA. The first is this. It's the King James only debate. You say he's stepping on very, very strong ground. You see, numerous churches in our area have taken the idea that the King James Version of the Bible, and I want to take this lightly, is the only authoritative Bible on earth. This is a false teaching. You see, the King James Version is a good translation. Don't get me wrong. The King James Version is a good translation. But it is heresy to believe that it's the only translation for the church today. Second, division is the only answer in response to conflict. Pastor Dan can name over 30 churches that have divided since he's been a pastor in this area. What does that express about Christianity in our area? If your wife wants to make waffles on Saturday and you want her to make French toast, is that a legitimate reason to divorce her? (laughs) I surely hope not. (laughs) So is, is division the immediate response to conflict? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, it's, I would say division is never the answer, but it could be a answer. 
But conflict should always be sought to be resolved before anyone ever thinks of division. Number three is the worship wars. Worship wars. The ongoing debate between traditional and contemporary music in our church. It has devastated churches. Should it be discussed? Absolutely. Should it devastate a church? Never. Because Christ should always be central. And finally, number four. The false teachings in NEPA is seeking to have a fast food Christianity. A fast food Christianity. So pray this prayer and you will be saved. That forces people into a contract with Christ rather than a relationship. See, people come to Christ because they see you and me in relationship to Christ, drawing closer to who he is, loving him. Not because they were coerced or forced into a prayer. So what's the resolution? What's the solution for all this? Coming back to how we introduced today's sermon. It's don't just fill a seat. Don't just fill a seat, but fight for it. Say, Zach, that sounds awful strange. But it is. You see, anyone can fill a seat on Sunday morning. (coughs) Do you think that Jesus Christ sits on his throne and he counts how many people came into the church on Sunday? Do you think he says, oh, Brewing Brook, they had five more today. That, that means giving's going to be up this month. Yes. No, I don't think, I don't think Jesus does that. <laughs> no, I don't think Jesus does that. Second, fight for a seat by recognizing false doctrine and repenting of it. You see, I've been, I've been impacted by all of these false teachings. I myself have been impacted by these. But today I want to repent of them because, because I cherish the gospel of Christ. If I believe in God's grace upon my life, then I'll accept what he does and focus on the primary doctrines within Scripture and heed to them as true. Third, fight for a seat because you belong to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you hold to sound teaching of God's word, nothing, nothing is going to move you from that. Cherish the gospel of Christ. Number four, fight for a seat because no matter how many worldly influences tell you that Christianity is false or that Jesus didn't exist or that there is no God, that you are called, loved, and kept by Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or death or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't be swayed by worldly influences, but hold on because you are kept, called, and loved by God. Fight for a seat because you have come to worship the God of the universe, the creator God. Don't just come to have your heart tingled 
or your emotions stirred, but come to worship God. Fight for a seat because that seat belongs to Christ. You see, when we come together as a body of Christ, we are sitting around the Lord's table. You and I are unworthy to pull up a seat by our own merit. Yet Jesus Christ invites us to sit with him, not because of what we have done, but because what if he has done on our behalf. You see, the point of this message is not to go and, and label your seat where you sit, uh, where, you, where you spend worship on Sunday, but it's a challenge that when you join the body of Christ, that you will hold fast to sound doctrine because we have been given a seat at the table with Christ. So today, don't just fill a seat within the body of Christ, but fight for it because you are in the presence of Christ and the body of believers. So hold tight to sound doctrine. Let's pray. Triune God, we humble ourselves before you because we recognize that we have no merit on our own to come before you. We recognize that Jude is so clear on what false teaching looks like and its effect on our churches today. God, help us to repent of the false teaching that we have succumbed to and allow to influence us that in reality have removed the gospel from being central in our lives. And God, when we fill a seat in church, Help us to be reminded that we are in your presence. Help us to hold fast to sound doctrine and fight for it because you fought and died for us. Thank you for Christ and your spirit working within us. It's your name that I pray. Amen. Go in peace.